This is another message brought to you by the Remodel Church. He had no idea what had been set into motion just a couple of days before. He, he had no idea who was on his way to visit him. This old man, about 76 years old, his name is Samuel. And Samuel had anointed the very first king over Israel. His name was Saul. But Saul had turned his back to God, and he was no longer obeying God. He was no longer following God. And the night before, God spoke to Samuel and said, I need you to get up, and I need you to go find and anoint me another king. Go to Jesse and one of his sons. He doesn't tell him his name. He doesn't tell him which one he is. But this morning, David wakes up again just like every other morning. He was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of eight boys. So this means he did the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. And so he was a shepherd boy, and, and as he's getting up and he's getting ready, he goes out into the field and he's counting the flock, making sure they're all there, making sure there's no wolves, no coyotes, no bears around. And he takes time and he plays his beautiful harp and he sings songs to God, and he's just doing what he usually does. Samuel is on his way to visit his father, Jesse. When Samuel comes to Jesse, he lets him know that I'm coming here peaceably. As a matter of fact, I want you to go with me and we're going to sacrifice this heifer that I brought with me. Because today God has sent me to anoint one of your boys to be king, to be the next king over Israel. So Jesse, thinking just like most of us would think, brings the oldest of the boys. And the oldest is a big, strong, good-looking man. But God speaks to Jesse and says, no, not this one. So Samuel says, well, it has to be the next one, and it has to be the next one. They go through all seven of David's brothers. And Samuel says, God says it's none of these. None of these is the one that God wants to be king over Israel. Is there anybody else? Jesse says, yeah, there's that one kid. He's about 11, 12 years old, but he stinks right now, man. He's been with the sheep. He's been out there for a few days. And Samuel says, bring him. We're not going to sit until he gets here. So the boys go out and they get David and they bring him to, to Jesse and to Samuel. Immediately God speaks to Samuel. And he says, this is the one that I've chosen. This is a boy that will grow up to be king over Israel. This is a boy that will be a man after my own heart. Jesse takes him, pours oil on his hands and pours it over David. And he anoints him the very next king over Israel. Throughout this series, I want, to be, I want to look at the life of David because the Bible says God called David a man after his own, his own heart. And I want to take a look at the life of David throughout these next few weeks and, and see what it is that God admired so much about David. See, it wasn't because David was some good-looking man. It wasn't because he was a strong... Again, he was a little boy. He was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old at this time. It wasn't because of his looks. It wasn't because of his strength. It wasn't even because of his courage, but it was because of his heart. And throughout the next few weeks, I want to take a look at the decisions that David made. Now, I want, I want to... Uh, Explain this very quickly. It was not because David was a perfect man. It wasn't because David made all of the right choices. 
And David sure wasn't some emotional little boy that, that uh, you know, Hollywood and movies like The Notebook. Oh, my gosh. If you have that movie, ladies, please burn it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but movies like that try to feminize men. Right? And so women are like, why don't you talk about your emotions like Ryan Gosling does? Oh, my gosh. So it wasn't because David was this, some, you know, feminine, I don't know, what, I don't know how to explain it, but, but it was because it was David's heart. It wasn't his actions. It wasn't even, it wasn't even uh, again, it wasn't his looks. It wasn't whose son he was. But it was his heart. And throughout the next several weeks, that's what I want to talk about. I want us to learn and to grow from David and see what it is that made him close to God. What it is that made God say, this is the one. This is the one. John F. Kennedy said that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail, to, to prevail, excuse me, is for the good men to stay silent, to say nothing, to do nothing. And throughout this series, I really want us to take a look at this man of God, a man that was after God's own heart, and learn from him as men and as, and as women. Go to your Bibles, go to First Samuel. The story that I just shared with you is in verse 16. I want you to go ahead and get your notes, get your highlighter, get your pen. I encourage you to mark up your Bibles. We're going to be going, we're going to have a lot of good stuff this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll pray and then we'll get into our notes. God, we thank you so much this morning for your presence we've already felt in this place. We ask you, God, that you would speak into our hearts and speak into our lives. Help us to be men and women that are after your own heart. God, help us understand and acknowledge that it's not, it's not living a life of perfection and it's not living a life of, uh, without mistakes and it's not about making all of the right choices all of the time, but it's all about our hearts. Help us to understand this this morning. Help us to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But God, more than anything, help us to live this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, Amen. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. This is the first scripture I want you to highlight. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Highlight that. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is not impressed or unimpressed by what everyone sees, but by what no one sees. God is not impressed or unimpressed by what everyone sees, but he is impressed or unimpressed by what no one sees. It's a lot like buying a used vehicle. You ever done one? You ever bought a used vehicle? And most of the times when they got the shiny rims and a new paint job and it's lifted about 800 inches, 
and it's got all of that cool stuff, and it's got the flow mask and everything else on it, most of the times, well, from the outside, man, that is one sexy-looking truck. But most of the times you pop that hood, or you just look at that odometer, and it loses its sexy very, very quick. Most of the times that truck that is all decked out has a motor that's probably about to give up on you. And if you buy that vehicle just by what it looks like on the outside, you're probably about to buy a lemon. You ever done that before? Right? When, well, at least when you were 15, that's all you looked at, huh? Now we're all wiser, hopefully. <laughs> but it's a lot like that. You see, we can dress ourselves up, we can say all of the right things and, and do all of the right things in front of people and impress everybody else and make everybody else think that we're a good person, make everybody else think that we've got it put together, make everybody else think that we love God, we're following God, we're doing the right things, but on the inside, we're as evil and as rotten as anybody else. And it can be quite the opposite as well. We can be that old-looking, beat-up truck and I have a Toyota, or I had a Toyota that I sold because it was beat up on the outside. Now I wish, every single time I see it driving down the road, I wish I wouldn't have sold it. Man, that thing has 350,000 miles and still working just fine. That's amazing. Sometimes we can be that old beat up truck. It looks, maybe we don't look so pretty on the outside. Maybe we're, we're a little bit rough whenever we speak. And maybe we make a few bad, bad choices. Maybe we make a few mistakes. But our hearts are pure before God. You see, some of us work really, really hard to impress others or, or to do all of these other things. And we look. We look like we're following God. We look like we have a good heart. We sound like we have a good heart. But inside we're judgmental and we're bitter and we're angry. Inside we're hurting others and we're killing ourselves because of what we carry inside of our hearts. God is not impressed or unimpressed by what everybody else sees, but He is impressed or unimpressed by what no one sees. Simply put, it is always all about the heart. You can make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. None of us will ever be perfect. None of us will ever reach perfection. We will all have our mistakes and our fair share of them. But it's about our hearts. It's what we do after those mistakes. So I want to take a look, and, and we're going to have to go back to chapter 15 to see what it is. Why is it that Samuel is anointing a new king? You see, Saul isn't dead. Saul is far from being dead at this point. Saul is still strong. He's still powerful, still very much alive. Matter of fact, Saul was, was a king that the, that the people chose. He was a king that was strong, tall, handsome, big. But his heart was far from God. So we're going to jump back to verse 15 and we're going to read a, a few scriptures there. And through seeing what it was that made God reject Saul, we're going to learn how to take care and maintain our own heart. So 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me, let me just share with you a little bit of context of what's, of what's going on right here. God has commanded uh, Saul 
to, to go down to Amalek and kill all of them, to destroy them. They were evil. They had treated Israel terribly whenever they were on their voyage, whenever they were on their journey to Israel. They had tre treated them terribly. They had abused them. They had done evil, evil things. And God calls Saul and he says, I want you, or actually he speaks to Samuel and Samuel speaks to Saul. He says, I want you to make war against them and I want you to destroy everything. Do not keep anything. Well, Saul goes and takes his army and he goes down there and he begins to wage war against them and he does begin to kill and he, he begins to kill absolutely everything except for the best. Matter of fact, the Bible states that he kept every, he killed everything that nobody wanted anyways and he kept all of the good stuff. But what did God tell him to do? What did God tell him to do? He told him to destroy everything, Right? And so Saul doesn't destroy everything. He keeps the good stuff. He keeps the gold. He keeps the silver. He keeps all of the good uh, uh, heifers and steers and all the good cows and bulls and all of this, all that kind of stuff. And he keeps everything that is good and destroys everything that is bad. And then uh, Samuel, or God confronts Samuel. Samuel confronts Saul and lets him know this day God has rejected you as king. You will no longer be king. There will be somebody else that is better than you, that will follow God better than you, and he will become king. So I want to take a look at this chapter in verse in chapter 15 and see what it is that we can do to keep our hearts. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Saul and he or Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Highlight this part, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. It's very simple. Follow God and keep his commandments. To keep our hearts right and to keep our hearts pure before God, one of the simplest things that we can do is just simply follow God and keep His commandments. If the Bible says, do not lie, we should not lie. If the Bible says, do not steal, we should not steal. If the Bible says, do not cheat, we should not cheat. If the Bible says, do not kill, we should not If the Bible says, we should honor our father and our mother, we should honor them. It's as simple as that. It's, it's honor God and keep His commandments. Follow God and keep His commandments. This was the very first mistake that Saul made as he no longer was following God. Now he was just doing what pleased himself. He was doing whatever benefits him the most. It was all about Saul. And he wasn't keeping God's commandments. God, is, God had ordered him to do a specific task, to do it one certain way, and he decides he knows a better way. And isn't that what so many of us do so many, so many times? We think that our situation is the exception to the rule. Whatever it may be. We think that, oh, no, 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 when, when the Bible talks about this, he's not talking about my life. No, no, when God said this, he didn't mean this. And we begin to manipulate and turn and twist what the Bible says, what God's commandments say, and what he wants us to do. We manipulate it to fit our lives. To keep our hearts right, it's as simple as just keeping his commandments. Just follow him and do what he asks us to do. 
Let's keep our hearts right by following God and keeping His commandments. Verse 12, and then we'll jump down to verse 17. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel indeed, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Jump down to verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes. Man, highlight that statement right there. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint king over Israel? This is amazing. God clearly had told Saul to go down, and, and God was definitely on his side, and, and God never commands, let me listen, or, or explain, let me explain this to you. God will never ask you to do something that he will not be with you when you're doing it. You got me? So if God asks you to do something, he's going to be right there with you. He's not going to send you into battle and then let you die. He's not going to send you to do something and, and then let you suffer the entire time and let, you, and let that destroy you. If God asks you to give your tithes, you know what? God's going to be right there blessing you while you're giving your tithes. If God asks you to forgive someone, you know what? God's going to be right there healing your heart, healing their hearts while you're forgiving them. You with me? God asks you to speak to somebody about His love and His grace. God is going to be right there with you to give you words, to help you do that. So God asked Saul to do this. God is obviously with Saul. Saul has this amazing victory, and then Saul erects this statue for who? In honor of who? Not of God. He doesn't say, God gave me this victory. Great be God because he helped me through this. He says, look at what I did. Look at how great I am. And he builds him up this rocky statue in the middle of Philadelphia with his hand up in the air. And he begins to think that it's all about Saul. He forgets about God. The second thing we need to do is love God above all and be humble. Love God above all. When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Jesus didn't hesitate to say, you should love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. So very, that's the very first and that's the greatest commandment of all. Love God with everything. Love God above all. And you see, the problem with Saul is he was no longer loving God above all, but he was loving Saul above all. He was loving himself more than he loved God. And he cared more about himself than he did about God. He cared more about pleasing himself than he cared about pleasing God. He wanted to make sure that he was honored even before God was honored. And this is a problem that our generation faces, is that it has become all about us. And whenever we contract somebody to, uh, to, to do a service for us, if they're not all about us, then we fire them. We become so self-centered, and we stop following and chasing God. We stop putting God above all. And that was, that was one of the greatest downfalls of Saul. It was, always, it was always about him, no, no longer about God. Let's jump back up to verse 15. And Saul said, 
This is after Samuel begins. Let's, let's go ahead and read verse four, or 14. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Samuel's confronting him. He says, You didn't destroy everything like God asked you to do. Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them. Listen, he says, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people... Spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Keywords, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. If we're going to keep our hearts right, we have to take responsibility for our mistakes. We have to take responsibility without making excuses. Listen, again, none of us will ever be perfect. And it's not this life and following God is not about how many mistakes you make, how many mistakes you don't make. It's all about how you respond to the mistakes that you make. That's what matters the most. That's what keeps our hearts pure. It's not about not making mistakes. Every single one of us will make mistakes. There is not one person in the Bible aside from Jesus that did not make mistakes. All of the great men and women in the Bible that are mentioned and that, are, that we learn about, that are taught about, all of them made big, big, big mistakes. David committed adultery and killed the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. Jonah disobeyed God. Abraham got frustrated with God and he ended up sleeping with his maidservant to have a baby because everybody, everybody in the Bible made big mistakes, huge mistakes. Your life and your walk with God is not about being perfect. It's not about how many small mistakes or big mistakes you make. That's not what defines your story and that's not what defines your walk with God. What defines your walk with God is how you respond to it. So when we make mistakes, when we mess up, when we sin, when we fail, we don't begin to blame others. We don't begin to make excuses and say, oh, it's because of my situation. And anybody in my situation would have done what I did. We don't make excuses, but we just take responsibility. And we just say, God, will you please forgive me? If we jump down to verse 21, Saul is doing the, saying the exact same story, except for this time he's blaming the soldiers. If we want to keep our hearts pure before God, we have to learn to take responsibility for our own actions, for our own mistakes, and don't make excuses, and don't blame others. Another thing that we do instead of blaming others is we compare ourselves to others. And we compare ourselves to others to say, well, at least I'm doing better than them. It's okay if I'm doing this because this is, this is super small compared to what my next, nor, my next door neighbor is doing. We, you're right. I probably did mess up. I probably did, I, I, I did sin. I did fall. But, but at least I'm not doing what he's doing. You with me? 
And when we, when we begin to compare ourselves and our lives to each other or to other people and compare our mistakes and our shortcomings and our failures to God, whenever we begin to compare it to somebody else, you know what, there's always going to be, we can always find somebody else that we believe is worse off than us, right? We can always find somebody else that made a bigger mistake than us. And that's what begins to destroy and mess up our hearts. Well, I may not be doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing for God, but at least I'm doing more than what they are. At least I'm doing my part. I may not be following God the way that I'm supposed to, but at least I'm not doing it like He is. When we begin to compare ourselves to others and our mistakes to others... We are so far, and our hearts are so far away from repentance that it's not even funny. Don't get caught up in that cycle. Don't get caught up in comparing your life to others and your mistakes to others. Don't get caught up in, in comparing the way your heart looks to what somebody else's heart looks. Because you know what? Nobody else, listen, listen to this, nobody else has or has set the standard. You get this? So whenever we begin to compare myself, when I compare myself to Joel and I say, well, at least I'm not doing what Joel's doing, what I'm doing is I'm saying that Joel set the standard and is, so if Joel sets the standard, then I'm coming in right underneath him and I'm, and I'm okay. But Joel set the standard. I don't set the standard. You don't set the standard. The truth is Jesus set the standard. And because Jesus set the standard, and His standard is perfect, is perfection. I can't look at anybody else and say, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. What I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to look at Jesus and say, look at how much I'm failing. That's why we need grace. This is why we repent. This is why we come to Jesus. The Bible was never meant to be binoculars to look at everybody else and look at everybody else's mistakes, but it was meant to be a mirror that we look at and look at our own errors and our own mistakes and accept the grace of Jesus. So to keep our hearts pure, to keep our hearts right with God, we just simply accept responsibility. Imagine that. Actually owning up to your mistakes. Could you imagine that? That's almost unheard of nowadays, right? Because it's always somebody else's fault. You know, that, that, hey, that's why it's a bad idea to miss work. Because if something goes wrong that day, it's your fault, I guarantee it. Oh, they, they, didn't, they were supposed to take care of that before they left, and they just... It's amazing. Everybody else messes up before, except for us. So we don't compare ourselves. We don't make excuses. We accept responsibility. And we understand, God, I messed up. And I need your grace and I need your forgiveness. And the most beautiful thing about God is he is right there to extend it, to embrace you, to forgive you, and to love you. We're going to jump to 24 and then we're going to jump to verse 30. 
Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I have sinned. This is Saul speaking. I have sinned. So he acknowledges that he, messes, that he messed up. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So Saul says, yes, I messed up, but I messed up because I was more concerned about people and their voice than I was about God. Jump to verse 30. So what is going on here is Saul is begging Samuel to go back with him. And Samuel says, I'm not going to. Then he said, this is Saul speaking again. I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Saul acknowledging that he messed up, and the reason that he fell, the reason that he fell into sin was because he was more concerned about what other people's voices were saying than what the voice of God was saying. He was more concerned about what he looked like in front of people than what he looked like before God. He was more concerned about his reputation with people than his reputation with God. That was why he sinned. And he acknowledges, that's why I sinned. And then you jump back to verse, or down to verse 30 and we see that he has not repented. He understands that that is his mistake. He understands that is his downfall. But still, he's more concerned about the people seeing Samuel with him and gaining the approval of the people than he is the approval of God. Let's work more on our reputation with God than we do our reputation with people. To keep our hearts pure, we have to care more about what God says about our situations, about our life, about the way that we are living, about the uh, choices that we make and the things that come out of our mouth. We have to care more about what God has to say about these things than we do what people have to say about these things. To keep our hearts pure and to keep our hearts right to, before God, we have to understand that God matters more than what people matters. God's opinion matters more than what people's opinion matters. What God says about me matters way more than what anybody else says about me. This was a downfall of Saul. He cared so much more what people thought about him. Because as long as he had people's approval, then everything was good. Everything was cool. But he didn't understand that he was losing the approval of God. So let's work more on our reputation, on our relationship with God, than what we do our reputation with people. And we're going to have to make some tough choices, decisions in our lives sometimes. We're going to have to do some things that aren't going to be very popular with people or even maybe sometimes with our families. But what matters most is the approval of God, not the approval of people.
You with me? We're going to jump to verse, what is that? Verse 22. So Samuel said, has a, has a Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed more than the fat of rams. Love God, and having a pure heart before God always comes back to, always comes down to our obedience. We cannot follow God if we're not obedient to God. We cannot love God if we're not obedient to God. For, uh, John chapter 14 verses 15 and verse 23, Jesus clearly says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I tell you to do. This is how we show that we love God. This is how we show that we have a pure heart before God is we simply do what he asks us to do. Sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it's going to make us look good in front of people. Sometimes they're going to be a little bit upset with us in front of people. But what matters most in my relationship with God is not how popular I am in the church, how popular I am in the community. What matters most in my relationship with God is how obedient I am to God. I won't respond to God for how much you guys liked me or how much anybody else liked me. I will respond to God for my obedience to God. Or lack of it. This is the greatest thing that we can do to show that we love God. And the most important thing that we can do to keep our hearts. Is simply obey God. You see the more disobedient we are to God. The more calloused we become to Him. And we disobey God one time. And the next time is a little bit easier. And the next time is a little bit easier. The next time is a little bit easier. And that conviction begins to go away. Before we know it, we feel no conviction at all. And it's not because it's not there anymore. It's because we're so callous. So I want to encourage you, man, woman, I want to encourage you to follow God, to be obedient to God. You see, those of you that are parents... Your kids need you to be obedient to God. Your kids need you to teach them what it looks like to be obedient to God. Your kids need you to lead them in obedience to God. And I believe that if men and women would rise up and just be obedient to God... I believe that this would fix so many problems that we have in our community and in our nation and in our world. If we would just stop being silent, evil would stop prevailing. If we would just have our hearts right before God, evil would no longer prevail. 
is the end of the message. For more information, please visit theremodelchurch.com.